Welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast, where we will cover all things about sales engineering, customer success, and best practices in the tech ecosystem. Recorded live outside of Boston, MA, here's your host, Gary Sloper. That song is by the band Casino Sunday, based out of New Jersey. Check them out on Bandcamp and iTunes. Uh, welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast. I'm your host, Gary Sloper, where we talk all things about solution engineering, customer success, and any other technical tips and tricks within the ecosystem uh, that we know as, as high tech uh, here globally. Uh, wanted to welcome everybody back. Uh, this is episode one of season two. We're, we're excited to kick this back going. Uh, we've been doing uh, quite a bit over the past uh, several weeks over break, so as you remembered we said we we're going to take a little bit of time off. Uh, you know, someone like myself has uh, a full-time job, and we want to make sure that uh, that we're taking advantage of uh, you know, covering the bills, et cetera. But it's it's been great. I've had a lot of great feedback, a lot of suggestions throughout the show, and I think season two will be a lot better. Uh, we're now in uh, over 22 countries globally, which has been unbelievable, especially because we don't go out and get sponsors, we don't do a lot of advertising, and I think that kind of rolls into the core DNA of every solution engineer that, that exists out there. You know, we like to, to be the, the person or the, the people that come in and, and help out with solutions. We're not looking for the, uh, for, the, for the fame and glory, and that's not why we've put this podcast together. So thank you to all of the listeners and subscribers. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening for the first time, please subscribe. It'll, it'll definitely help us to see uh, what, where, where people are located and kind of what you're looking to, to hear from us as well. So uh, help us out with that and, and also drop us a note if any questions or any future topics. Uh, that's been super helpful, uh, again, because this isn't just a, uh, an opportunity for me to speak. It's more for all of us to share. Uh, so today I'm extremely excited uh, to have uh, our first guest of season two on, uh, Paul McBratney here. Uh, he is the senior solution engineer uh, from Alert Logic, uh, based out of the Atlanta area, and uh, I am extremely happy to have you here today, Paul. Because there's a lot of things that I want to talk to you about about being uh, a solution engineer at Alert Logic. But just based on your background, I, I'm deeply honored and, and uh, thankful that you were able to join. So, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it, Gary. Yeah. Um, why don't you uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and you know you know what your career has been and how you. Uh, got into pre-sales uh, because it is a, as we know, a, a very unique uh, job role, and uh, maybe a little bit about what you're doing at Alert Logic and what the company's focused on. Sure, sure, thank you. Yeah. Uh, as Gary mentioned, I'm Paul McBratney. Um, I work mostly in the channel at Alert Logic as a solutions engineer. My background is in Windows administration. I did server administration, desktop support, network administration. I kind of cut my teeth in hotels and hotel franchising and then moved into to working for a hosting provider in support as a technical account manager and kind of got pulled unwitt unwittingly into sales. It wasn't really something that was on my radar, but I seemed to always be back pestering the sales guys about what our customers needed next and what servers they needed to retire and replace and what additional serv services they needed. And before long, I was kind of being tapped on the shoulder and saying, hey, we want to talk to you back here. We think you'd be good at this. And that kind of started me about eight years ago in, in, in becoming a solutions engineer, what a lot of times people call a sales engineer. Um, and it's, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, 
the other other thing, other couple of specifics for me, one of the reasons I got tapped for that role is I'm also a Spanish speaker, a longtime hobby of mine, and we had some, some customers in Latin America that I was already supporting. And it was another thing that was a, attractive in that role is I'd get to work more with some of our customers out of Latin America. That's great. Um, so a couple, couple things there that I think is really important to point out. We've talked about on the, on the show in the past. So your background, because, uh, you know, the question that I always get asked is, you know, Gary, how do I go become a sales engineer or, you know, a solution architect? And as, as you know, Paul, there's no, there's no set schooling, at least not yet. Maybe, maybe we build something in the future. Uh, you can't just go take a certification. It really is a lot of the on-the-job training, and I, I loved hearing about the the Windows environment. And I can only imagine, uh, you know, back in the day, the amount of floppy disks you probably had to load for a, for a Windows OS, uh, or supporting some of those retail hotel type of environments, which are not technical individuals. They just see a blinking light in a closet. You know, walk me through a little bit about, you know, how that helped shape you today. Not necessarily, obviously, the soft skills, which we'll talk about, but but getting that core foundation because I think it's really important when I when I speak to, you know, folks that are junior in their career and they want to jump right into an Amazon type of certification, which isn't a bad thing, or they want to go and learn the great, you know, earliest, you know, or latest greatest piece of uh, SaaS technology that exists. What I always, you know, one of the one of the things that I always suggest to them is understand the OSI model, understand layer one through seven. How does the internet work? And things like take a server apart, understand the components. Yet, you, you know, everything is in the cloud, but it, it's good to understand a lot of those pieces. And so I guess, you know, my question to you is, that, was that really helpful as, as you've kind of, you know, morphed into your career? Because you're obviously not necessarily talking about, you know, some of those types of technologies anymore. But I think the foundation's still there and how you go about solving the problem. You know, maybe you could shed some light on there for, for some of the listeners. Sure, sure. One, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, to your point, I work with a lot of people. I'm, I'm with my third company as a solutions engineer. And one of the things I've almost never seen, I know of one person who's managed to do this, everyone else I've seen has failed. There are very few good solutions engineers who didn't start out in a technical discipline and have a technical role over multiple years. Um, right. You know, the idea that you could just go to college and come out with a degree in computer science and become an SE... I think it doesn't work because there's so much more to what we do than simply the technical and the conversations that I'm having day in and day out with my customers, with my partners, these aren't simply technical conversations. These are technical business conversations. Mm. So we're not just talking about the firewall goes here and this appliance goes here and then you have this. I need to be able to sit down with my customer and have an intelligent conversation about how their entire solution works to see how we can fit a managed security s- solution into that and how we could actually offer them the, the protection that they need. And it's not enough just, just to understand how those things work. I need some real-world experience having supported similar environments, having worked in similar businesses. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, and... and the, the exposure that you have from troubleshooting to understanding the nuts and bolts uh, early on, I think really, it also, you know, I, I think it really provides some street cred back to the user that you're designing with on the front end with, with it, I, would, I would assume in this case in, in the partner channel, because 
you know, you've lived their pain or they, you can speak the same language because of that. And that's not something that you can necessarily go study. And, you know, I, at least I'll speak for myself and, and I'm sure this has probably happened to you. There's been times where, you know, you're super frustrated trying to solve a problem or a design or trying to make something work that just doesn't, it just, it, it won't fit. And that experience of, of problem solving and also which what I really liked before, you know, how does your solution integrate with other components of the business? You really have to be astute to control your learning curve in such that if my solution is all I'm worried about, how does that play into and also have uh, repercussions positively or negatively across other pieces of technology that they have selected as a, as, as a customer and I think that's really important because I, I think the good SEs, to your, to your point, also can, can look at what's in that environment and say, okay, yes, my solution will solve this issue, but it could create these other three issues because, you know, the API doesn't integrate here or, you know, the, the, the way that this is deployed, there'll be a severe amount of, of latency. All these other components that, again, as you go into a company, they're not going to teach you. It's just expected that you have that certain level of background. Well, and one of the first, when you, when you step into an engagement, and I've, I, I've worked with my current company, I've, I've worked with a direct team selling mostly to, to new customers. I've worked with existing customers who are upgrading their solutions. I've worked with channel partners as they're acquiring new customers or growing customers. But when I step into this engagement in front of the customer, the first thing I have to do is I have to assure them that I'm knowledgeable. And part of that is asking them about their solution and what they're doing and demonstrating I understand their business and that I have some level of understanding about technically what they're doing. If you, if you don't have that credibility early on, then a lot of times they don't listen to you. You know, if you get in front of a very technical audience, you know, their SEs, their SAs, their CIO, so see, so sometimes they want to they want to see if they can stump you. They they want to see if they really believe you. The other thing I think is is very very important because you're working in the sales arena, and I've worked in companies that have done this both ways. I think it's very important that that SEs are always always dollar agnostic. I don't quote prices. I don't. I I, I know something about pricing, but I don't want to talk about pricing. I want to be the technical business guy who's going to say. Here's what you're looking to do. Here's how it can be done. And sometimes here's the limit up to what can be done on that. So you become the technical advisor and not just another salesperson. I, I think one of the things, too, because we all go through this transition where you're a support person. You know, my last support role, I was a technical account manager supporting very, very large customers. And as a support person, things are very black and white. You can do mm -hmm. this or you can't. Or in order to do this, you need this, 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 and this in order to accomplish this task. You either have enough RAM or processor or you don't. Or we can test to figure that out. One of the real challenges in the transition is what I call the art of no. As, as technical people, we're sometimes very quick to say, you can't do that. This technology mm -hmm. doesn't do that. When you move into the sales arena, you have to be careful that you're not constantly saying, no, no, we don't do that. We can't do that. And what you have to learn is, I call it the art of no, you have to kind of make that a yes. We can do that, 
but up to this point, and this is how that would work, and this is the outcome that you could get. And you have to be careful that you're not couching things in, a neg in negative terms. You, you can't ever misrepresent what you're doing. But you're suddenly in a sales arena, and you have to speak a little like a salesperson and a little like a technical person. You have to mm -hmm. blend those two roles. Absolutely. I think that what you just said on was key because you obviously are the, the technical guru. You're being challenged by the CIO and his or her team for, a for really, I th I'd say two reasons. One, they want to see, you know, do you have the technical chops to really understand their challenge that they have or, or how their environment is set up? And then I think the second one, quite honestly, and you can probably appreciate this um, with your experience, you know, when we got into the industry, there was not as many types of, I would, I would just call them general providers, whether it's, you know, software as a service, infrastructure as a service, traditional managed service providers, uh, you know, VARs, et cetera. There are more and more technology companies that are popping up today, and therefore they are all, they're, they're all trying to sell to the same customer. So now I see more product fatigue. And what happens as you've added more and more companies, the playing field, ha in my opinion, in a lot of organizations has become diluted. So the individuals that do show up on site may not have a complete background and, and they end up throwing buzzwords or they, they, they skimp around some of their abilities and customers don't have time for that and they'll see right through it. So quickly, it's almost like a vetting process for them. You know, how quickly can I understand, you know, Paul's background before I continue to really talk about complex and quite honestly, confidential information about my organization and how it's structured and the challenges that I have. And then you add on top of that piece to your point, and I really love that art of no. I'm gonna, hopefully, you, you need to copyright that because I, I think I wanna borrow that. Um, what I like about that is because you're, you're trying to balance the art of no with the customer, but also sales. And the really good salespeople understand that. The ones that uh, don't probably do as well and perform as well are the ones that are saying, no, no, we need to just tell them yes, no matter what, no matter what. And they, don't understand that it's very short-sighted because when the implementation does not work well, when the customer success environment does is not satisfied based on what we designed in pre-sales, it just has adverse repercussions and also long-term just building that relationship. So I think you're absolutely right. It's this, it's almost like walking on eggshells, but not, and having a fine balance on a tightrope. So you don't, you don't fall off, but you're getting to the other side of, of your objective. And you're absolutely right. Like you have to be able to balance that. And how do you do that and stay technically astute and manage all of your other workload? Like it is a very demanding and challenging position, but it's also the most rewarding because you are involved in so many aspects of that life cycle of a customer. I, I, I was on a call recently and I was on the, on the call with someone that I work for who I have a great deal of respect for. One of the things I heard him doing, and I'm like, oh, I've got to do more of this. And this is the other thing. You have to keep learning. Mm. None of us knows everything. This is a position where you have to keep learning about your product, the capabilities, your customers, what's changing in the market. But you have to listen to other salespeople and other SEs and other people in your circle, sometimes in other roles in product. And you hear things just like, just like you were saying, I, I, need, I need that. I'm taking that. I'm using that. And one of the techniques I heard recently, I'm, I'm very, very direct. And that's one of the reasons I had to learn, don't, don't be so quick to say no. Speak, mm -hmm. you know, explain to the customer we can do that up to this point and this is what that would look like. 
and also try to try to understand what the customer's next question is and go ahead and answer it before they ask it because if you've worked with your product you know what that is right but the other thing i was i was watching my manager do recently which is really beautiful is the quest one of the questions came up and i knew the answer to that was we really can't do that or it's you know it's not really quite in our bailiwick and there's some parts of that we can do and he began asking questions about why is this important and what are you trying to accomplish and he was he was trying to get more information from them so he could speak more in depth mm-hmm. but he was also trying not to give them a direct no and get more information so he could turn the question about around and give it a more proper answer and sometimes what you learn from that is there's a little more than this I know. You know, I, maybe I didn't really completely understand the question. And sometimes the next step is I'm going to take that as a, as a follow-up after the call. I need to talk to somebody in product. Yes. Um, and part of that answer sometimes is I know there's something on the roadmap that will help us with that. Let me get more details. Because one of the ways you can keep from saying no is saying I, I completely understand what you're asking me for. I have other customers that have been asking for me for that. And I know it's on the roadmap, but I don't know exactly what it looks like. But I'm going to find out and let you know. And, and that's the but best way to approach it, right? Because what, what you can't do, and I, I tell every pre-sales professional this. Actually, it really applies to anything, anybody that's supporting customers on the life cycle, whether in your support, customer success, sales. If you don't know the answer and you guess you are putting yourself in a very bad position. The customer wants assurance from you. It could be a very delicate moment. You know, in your case, I'm sure as you, as you probably see, the customer could be under attack or they could re- require something. And if you make that mistake of over-promising or making an assertion that, yes, we can support something, you can't take that back. And I think that was very important to what you just said, that I'd rather go back and let me just double check the, the roadmap or have a conversation with someone in product. I believe we might be able to solve this, but I need to understand some more things on your side. Or quite honestly, I need to ask more questions because the way you asked it could be more pertinent with acronyms and, and nuances that pertain to your business that I just found out more about your business here in the, in the first 10 minutes than I did over the last 30 minutes trying to study before I got on the call because I don't know you that well. And I think that's really important, and, and sometimes that gets lost in the translation, I think, with sales. They feel, well, the SE just wants to overanalyze everything. Well, no, not necessarily. I think in this case, they want to make sure that they are 100% airtight. When you go see a doctor, they don't just necessarily give you a prognosis right there. Nowadays, they run a lot of tests. They do some research, and you know, we're all fallible. We're going to make mistakes, but I think if we can come back and set that expectation up front, that's what separates really good solution engineers from some not so really good solution engineers because you're taking the onus on you to go find that. The other trick that I've that I like to well, I wouldn't say it's really a trick, it's one of my responses. Sometimes I've just never been asked that question. You know, it could be something very detailed or completely one off, or you know, <laughs> it could be connecting one of those legacy pieces of technology that we were talking about before. It could be this old server that has MS DOS on it that a uh, you know, an intern back in 1985 uh, built and it's still running some punch card system. Well, that's never going in the cloud and I don't know anything about it. I can't Google it. I I just don't know. I've never been asked this question. So you as a customer stumped me and I I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Let me go back and do some research and find out for you. And 
some like maybe 1% of the time I find that customer that's very irritated that you can't give them an answer immediately, but 99% of the time they're okay because they want they also their neck is usually on the line. They want to make sure that what they're asking you can be supported so they can go back and receive sponsorship internally and also supporting their end customers. I mean, you, you probably see that as well, right? I, I do, and, and one of the things that we're talking about on this too is while you're, when you're having a customer engagement, early on my idea of the customer engagement, salesperson invites me to the call. Mm-hmm. Um, a good salesperson will, will also have a pre-call and set you up with who, who is the customer, who are the people on the phone, what are their roles, so you know who you're talking to and at what level of technicality to be. And what are they doing, you know, where are they deploying, and, you know, the basics, so you're having a guided call, a guided discussion. Sure. You're not just flying blind, and you come in with an understanding of what they do. But the other thing that I, I used to think is you'd show up for the call, you'd, you'd, you'd answer the questions, you'd explain things, you'd do the demo, and the call was over, and then you're done. And I was wrong. Okay. Um, what you need to be doing on that call and that hey, I, I haven't run into that question before. You know, I'm not positive of the answer, and I don't want to give you an incorrect answer. So let me go do a little homework and take that as a to-do item. I try to collect to-do items on these calls to further the engagement. Mm, so I like that. I'm happy to take that back to one of the folks in product and say, hey, customer asked me about this, and get more detail. And sometimes the answer is, hey, that's on the roadmap, and we should be able to do that in Q3. Um, sometimes it's, we don't really do that, but there are some other products that are unrelated to us that do. And that's a little outside of our world. Yeah. You know, if you can solve a customer's problem, if your tools and your products don't do it, I love, I love for my customers to say, Hey, we're using this for email security and here's the antivirus that we like because my products don't do that. Right. So if I have that experience to share with my customer, it's not. It, it's given for free. It's it's not. I'm not selling you something. Hey, I've heard some great things about this and this. You might want to look into that. But the other thing is, don't be afraid to. Don't be afraid if you have been. If you have told your customer something that's wrong, own it. Yes, thousand percent. And I, I and I know that's counterintuitive, but I've had a few times where customers asked me a question, and I was sure I knew the answer, and I answered it. And after the call, I was talking to somebody else internally. And we got into conversation or product was training us on something and they said something and it, and it demonstrated that my answer was wrong yeah, or it was half right. And that's an opportunity for me to show some ownership with, with my customer and either follow up via email or if we've got a follow-up call, bring it to their attention. Hey, last week when we spoke, I was looking through my notes and you asked me X, Y, Z. And the answer that I gave you was was incomplete, or it wasn't quite correct. And I've had some side conversations with product, and I want to share you more, sh- share with you more about what I learned on that. Mm-hmm. Um, what it says is that that you're willing to be wrong to do the right thing for your customer, and it's part of how you build that relationship. You know, it's not it's not about your ego; it's about what's the right thing for your customer. I agree, because sometimes. You know, we've all worked with them, right? There, there's the profile of the solution engineer that wants to hear themselves talk, wants to be the smartest person in the room, wants to, you know, over-engineer something. And, and, and that's not necessarily solving the customer problem. It's feeding into their own ego. And they're, they're, and sometimes they're, they, they honestly end up being one of the best 
technical individuals that exist. But for this role, I think you're spot on is that you have to figure out what's more important for the customer. And we will all make mistakes. I, I, I don't care who the, the engineer is. They will get something wrong and you have to own it. And sometimes you realize that you have something wrong that, or that you said something wrong, but that opportunity actually never materialized. So you kind of have a get-out-of-jail-free card at times. You're like, oh, wow, I'm glad we, <laughs> we might not have closed that deal or I would have had to go back to the customer with my tail between my legs. So use that as an opportunity to say, okay, I know that I was wrong here. I also may want to tell my peers. Um, and I think that's important too is, as, as SEs. And you hit on this earlier, and I, I did miss it, and I, I do want to come back to it, that we you know, are not focused on the pricing. We're not focused on the dollar. And I think that's pretty true for, I would say, the majority of the culture of, of, of pre-sales out there. We're focused on solving the problem at hand and letting the contractual and pricing piece fall into the sales organization. And I also think there's, there's also this inherent tribe culture that we build uh, within our organization too. So when you do find out, hey, I was wrong here, uh, I want to let the rest of the team know uh, that this was the answer in case they ever come across that. Um, you probably see that quite a bit in some of the roles you've had where everybody's trying to help each other out, I would assume, correct? Yeah, one of, one of the things I love, we, we use one of the big chat applications, and there's a chat channel specifically for the SEs in our organization. Mm -hmm. And I've been in the middle of customer calls and somebody has asked me something, and I throw it out there in front of my group. And sometimes, unfortunate enough, the right person is online and sees it. Yeah, I had this happen to me the other day. I was on a call with one of our partners and a question came up and I was like, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm yeah. going to find out. And I chatted, uh, I, I just threw it out into the in, into the chat channel for the SEs and I had an answer back in about five minutes. And so I was able to deliver that on the call. I said, hey, I, I put this out in front of my team and, and I got the answer back that we needed to know on that. Um, and that's but, huge yeah, with, because you can also go back and search for that later, right? Like, oh, I remember somebody was chatting about this. And you can go back and search, you know, what the what the question was or, you know, a couple of the keywords and it will pop back up. So it's also a, a good way for you not to ha necessarily have to write everything down as well. And it's mobile. So if you are walking into a customer or you're in the middle of a customer meeting, hey, let me just double check something on my phone. Do you mind? And you're able to pull up that piece on the chat conversation. I think we've, we've all done that a few times, too. And the customer's fired up because you, you're able to solve the, 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 the answer to the question right there on the spot. Well, and the other thing you have to do in this role, and it's very hard in a, if you're if you're in a new organization, is you have to build your list of SMEs. Mm. And some of them are a little more obvious. You know, like in my organization, I've got a list of who owns what in product, and that's pretty easy to understand. But I have some folks, there, there are a handful of us on the Channel SE team, and we cover for each other a lot. We help each other a lot. And I've worked with each of, the, each of these gentlemen enough to know each one of us kind of accidentally has some areas of expertise. It wasn't necessarily something our bosses planned, <laughs> but I know one guy is the, the, the king of, of beautiful PowerPoints. And if, if, I'm, if I need to do something, I check because Chris might already have one. Right. I have another guy that knows process because he worked back of house in kind of another support role. Mm -hmm. And he knows parts of the UI that I don't know. And so you really have to kind of build this book of, who in your organization can help you? Because if your question is to the S, you know, the SVP of XYZ, 
and sometimes that that is who I'm looking for. They may be in meetings all day. Right. You may not hear back from them for a few days. Yeah, I think that's that's super important, and that's good to hear because I think a lot of times that I've seen at my level is a lot of organizations will, you know, the leadership will hire the same profile, same background for everyone, which is, you know, it, it could could work in some organizations, but if you have to go outside of the back, you know, the abilities and background of that particular DNA that you hired, you will have problems. Uh, and I've seen that before. I've always enjoyed building teams where you can cross pollinate. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that we have as, um, you know, uh, a duty in the ecosystem is to continue to groom the next solution engineers and this next uh, generation. And, and, you know, you talked about before having that technical background. I think for some folks, you know, it may not be, uh, you know, a physical technical background of, you know, building equipment, but oftentimes I think some of the best people that start their careers early on as a, as a junior SE come out of that support role because they've logged countless hours with troubleshooting and helping customers, and you have to really, you know, hone your um, soft skills when you're speaking with those customers. And I think that is something that, you know, as, as you're building a team, you want to look at like where do these people come from? Is somebody came somebody came from the partner channel, or somebody has a background here or here and here? And I think, you know, that's great. That it sounds like you guys have have that naturally um, because it's it's definitely helped me as a solution architect it's helped me as a leader of solution architects because there are times where i've been brought into a deal and i'm like wow i I need to have jane on this call just for five minutes to talk about her ability and understanding of the product here here and here probably no different on on your side bringing in you know somebody that has that deep understanding of of the ui just to help me out and you're going to do the same thing and i think that's what where a lot of people that have never been in our roles or understand the organization well don't realize that we we do tend to help each other out you know not just in deals but like you mentioned even just covering if somebody decides to take a pto time or you know go on vacation and that doesn't always necessarily happen at the sales level a lot of times the sales professionals they don't necessarily have somebody covering for them maybe their manager but that same camaraderie i don't see always exists and i think it's natural too right because you know, they're very protective of their opportunities and their customers and relationships. I get it. But that's what I think really makes this, you know, pre-sales component very unique. And it, it's very, again, we were getting back to earlier. It's not something you can just go take a course on and completely understand. It's it's one of these things you almost have to be immersed into. And I think on the SME piece that you, you were talking about as well, you know, I... When, when, I'm, when people have asked me to kind of describe it, I say, okay, well, think of a general contractor, and they understand all the components to go build your house. And they also have to take, uh, in most states, they have to take, you know, certain uh, um, exams and have certain licenses to be that general contractor. And if they had to go install the plumbing, uh, they might be able to if they have the license, or if they had to go hang cabinets or, or do something else, they, they could probably do that. But they bring in the specialist. They bring in the the electrician, the plumber, you know, the cabinet maker, the person that will just focus on uh, building the foundation from a concrete standpoint. And and that that's where I think sometimes it kind of relates to us, that we have to be really good at a couple things and be generalist to go figure out how to go solve those other things because it's not something in our bailiwick that we do every day. So how, how do you, Paul, how do you control your learning curve in that respect? Because... Um, it sounds like you, you take a very 
methodical and, and a very serious approach to, to helping customers. But if you get into that situation where, geez, you know, I know enough to be dangerous, but I don't know that well. You know, if it was, hey, you know, I, I understand, you know, um, containers, but I'm not really a kube expert. Like, how, how would you go approach that problem to solve? Um, you know, on, some, on something like that, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I don't need to become an expert. Okay. What I need to understand is conceptually how they work. And I also need to understand where we can integrate with that and what some of the challenges are. So I don't need to know it well enough to implement it. You know, I've got an, I've got an AWS uh, architect cert. I, I don't spend any time uh, architecting anything on AWS. I, I rarely spin up servers or anything like that. But what that certification is about is understanding what my customers are using mm -hmm. and understanding what those services are on the platform that they're leveraging and understanding how the, the, the products and the services that we offer integrate with that environment. Yeah. So you're... Your, 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 your learning curve has to be focused on how do I understand what my customers are doing, the technologies that they're using, how does our platform and our, and our security tools extract the network data or the log data to analyze those for threats, how does it integrate, and what does deployment look like for that? And then there's this third level of, of and what is, what, what is the product capability of that? So... You know, I don't need to. I don't need to learn to to go and program because that's that's not going to help me with my customers. Mm -hmm. But understanding these big major cloud platforms helps me tremendously. Absolutely. I mean, because you, and I think that's always been there, right? Even when you know I spent a lot of years on the telco side, I wasn't necessarily out there deploying edge routers, but I needed to understand, you know, how routing worked, and you know if there was going to be a BGP session set up, things that they needed to be aware of, like general best practices if they were going to um, put that network together. Uh, and then fast forward in the cloud, it's the same thing. It's right. It's like understanding, okay, you, you want your cloud instance here, but your users are over here. Okay, well, you know, how are you going to prevent latency? How are you going to prevent, um, you know, the application from failing due to that latency? And then, the way you have it set up, okay, it could be, you know, the, the instance could be directly next door, but the way you've architected this or, you know, I also understand the cost component of it. And, and all those little things, those little tidbits are, to your point, it's not necessarily you're going in there, but you're speaking the same language. You're, you're able to assess that problem um, up front with the customer based on how they're looking at their pane of glass uh, and, and in this case, in, in their in their cloud infrastructure. So I think that's that, that's super important. I and I always tell people, I'm like, what what you learn today, uh, you know, is literally changing every month. Um, years ago, it was, hey, it took us you know 12 months to launch an application. Now we know it takes minutes. And so how do you how do you stay relevant is 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 hard to do, but also can be challenging in a good way because it forces you your brain to think a little bit differently, but not have to go too deep. Um, so I like that. That's that's really good. And I think part of that is you have to know enough that you can feel your customer's pain. Yeah. You know, a lot of one of the things that we offer is we do internal and external vulnerability scanning. As a Windows administrator, you know, we don't we don't actually do the patching, but we we provide the reports and say this is what you need to patch. Here are your critical patches. Here are your mediums. 
you know, here's what your score looks like based on how you've patched and how you haven't patched. I have a lot of I have a lot of experience about the pain of patching Windows servers. Sure. So Patch Tuesday. when we have these conversations, <laughs> customers, you know, I can communicate. I have experience with this. It's gotten easier over time. But, you know, I understand the challenge of this. But the behavior that we're trying to drive, you know, and this is the message. It's always what, how does this solve a problem for my customer? Their behavior that we're trying to drive is scan and patch because... Patching is one of the most powerful things that you can do in the security world to improve your security mm-hmm. posture. Yeah. Now, I mean, that that's that's important, right? Because, again, you know enough, you've had enough of that pain. You can also relate. And I, and I also think sometimes, right, so if we put our, we put our customer hat on and, and they're constantly getting sold to by every organization you can think of. None of them answer their calls anymore. None of them respond to emails. They are just inundated. And I know this because I get equally inundated on a daily basis, probably, well, actually probably not as much as they do, but, you know, quite a bit by just, you know, um, artificial emails that come out just because I'm on some sort of list. There's no real prospecting, anything like that. So I can only imagine, you know, the frustration that they have. And if you're able to, to sit down and say, listen, I know what it's like to patch. I've been through that process. Every Tuesday, Microsoft would send something out over the years and I'm under a time crunch. And, you know, there's a, there's a newer update that's going to take X amount of minutes longer, compound that across all my servers in the data center. And, you know, I got to go drive to the data center, whatever the, you know, like you, you can kind of have like that. Oh, you've been there. You know, you know, my, you know, my pain point, you understand me. And I think that's part of being that, that trusted advisor is getting to their level to say, listen, you and I are cut from the same cloth. I know what you're going through. I just happen to be sitting on the other side of the table. Um, but I know your pain point and let's talk about how I might be able to, to alleviate some of that pain. And I think that that plays a lot into um, demos. And uh, I, I know you and I were talking about this before we got on the the uh, the show today. But you know, I, I see that a lot in demos. That sometimes I think we miss the mark when we're actually working with a customer on a demo. It's it's it almost feels like we're we're trying to throw up technology, show all these great things, talk about what's going to be on the roadmap, and and we didn't actually listen to the customer or take our experience based on what the customer has already told us and apply that into the demo. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on, on demos, but I'd, I'd love to hear it. Cause I'm sure you, based on what you're doing today at alert logic, probably have to uh, perform quite a few demos on, on some of the areas that, uh, that you guys are providing today. Yeah. And, and this is something I saw early on, uh, even in our organization, when I started three years ago, I, I saw a lot of demos that were, Click, 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 clear. You know, it was death by a thousand mm-hmm. clicks. And what it was was a feature-based demo. And I started hearing one or two people in leadership talk about that, and I realized that we were doing it wrong. And, and you know, one of my previous bosses really started talking about this. And the, the, the key thing that your customer wants to know, you, you constantly have to be asking the, answering the question for them, is why do I care? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you you need to have that you need to have a little prep before the call. What who is my customer? What business are they in? 
what is their driver? Is there, are, are they talking to us because they've got a compliance need? Have they had a previous breach? Um, why are they talking to us? What is their, what is their pain point? Are they in AWS Azure? Are they on-prem? Are they in VMware? Because your whole conversation needs to be focused on them. If I show them something in the UI and they're in VMware, I want to show them something that is meaningful to them. If, you know, their big issue is, is our incidents that have happened on the network, I want to focus on that. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, network equipment and log-based uh, incidents, I want to focus on that. Um, but you want to have you want you want to be talking to the customer about the things that solve their problems, and I've seen some people like you know one of the things that you can do in our UI is you we collect all the logs we analyze them for indications of attack and we create instance incidents but we also archive them on the back end for most customers for a year and the logs are all searchable and you can do these great big demonstrations about these complex log queries and how you can search them for all this great security and operational data. And you know who cares about that? Almost nobody. Mm. What they want to know is, why would I do that? Yeah. So I, I, I've stopped doing that. I, I, I show it to them, and I don't take any time. You know, I don't take seven minutes showing what, what great things you could do with this. I tell them a couple of stories of problems I've had when I was a Windows administrator, how this would solve that problem. Yes, I like that. Um, and... You know, I was, I was talking to one of, one of the guys in our organization that's newer to this. He's in his first position as an AE. And I said, you know, set up your call and tell stories. Mm -hmm. It's all about storytelling. You, you know, have you to. Want it. Yeah. And, and, and I said, when you go through the UI, don't, don't click a million times. No, nobody wants to know about every feature. Right. Answer the questions that come up about the feature. As you go through each part of the demo explain about why this matters what problem does this solve for you how does this make us different from our competitors mm -hmm. i love to throw in some things about and by the way a year ago we didn't do this this is how we progressed i want customers to see that we're an organization that's growing and we're adapting to new technologies and the other thing is the salespeople come to me and they say i need you to do this demo and I don't ask them, but we don't start with a demo. We start with diagrams. You know, a, a big part of what we do as a security company is we collect all the network data, all the network data from server to server. We collect and analyze it for indications of threat and compromise. We collect all of the customer logs. We do the same thing. We archive the logs on the back end. We do internal scanning for vulnerabilities. And we do external scanning for vulnerabilities. So especially if I'm talking to a technical audience, the first thing I want to show them before we get into the UI is let me show you a diagram. You're in AWS. I'm going to show you the AWS diagram. I want you to understand how we collect, how we analyze where the security content comes from because I'm, I'm excited in our organization. We author the majority of our security content, which is not always happening in every, in every security company. And when it becomes an incident, what happens and how does that integrate with the services in the SOC? Mm -hmm. When are they looking at these incidents? When are they picking up the phone and calling you versus an email? I think that diagram sometimes in stepping through the data flow, the data analysis and the integration with the SOC is sometimes more powerful than the demo because the customer understands the reason this matters is this is what this is going to do for me that I don't have to do for myself. Yes. 
And I love how before you get into what organizations spend so much time and money is is the actual you know interface or the actual infrastructure that you want to demo and that's like what the whole company is based around i love the fact that you take it down a step further say let me let me show you i'm assuming it's probably more logical but you know a logical representation of how everything plays together because it's so easy as SEs or salespeople after a while that we know our product inside and out and we we have to forget that the person on the other line or the other end of the table is seeing this for the first time. So you kind of have to walk them through it. It's it's no different than as we're learning new technology. Don't, you know, just show me something really quickly and expect me to understand all the benefits. Like walk me through the journey. And as you were mentioning, start with that story. And that story began with, here's what the infrastructure looks like. And I've got it diagrammed out based on your profile, which sounds like you're in an AWS environment. And let's talk about that first. Because I think, I'm assuming, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but by you doing that, that sets up your demo to be much better, correct? It does. And the other thing, and I have to sometimes remind myself, pause, because I, I know a lot of words, like all of us, yeah. say, <laughs> pause and invite questions. Because a lot of times what the, the customer will share with you is, well, we still have this legacy data center in co-location. What could you do for that? Yeah. And we might grab another, another another diagram and spend a minute or two on that and discuss how we can cover hybrid. Mm-hmm. And by the way, next year we might go into Google Cloud. Can you cover that? That's fantastic. And what you want to hear back is you want to hear questions. My my, The way I score the call is if I'm getting a lot of questions, the customer's engaged. Yes. If I'm not getting a lot of questions... Somebody's boss told them to come, and they're not that interested. <laughs> that happens so many times, and and and, it, and your experience as a sales engineer, and and sometimes sales, i.e., the AE doesn't necessarily want to hear this. It's hey, I'm going to tell you right now, this customer wasn't engaged. I, I would I would say we have a red flag here. You need to you know somehow go around this person, not on you know not in a negative way, or try to try to go up to understand a little bit more, or. Maybe they have to be this, you know, outlying introvert, but but experience tells me, based on everything you just described, Paul, that um, that customer is going to be more engaging, wants other follow-ups, possibly sometimes wants to invite somebody else on his or her team or, you know, his or her boss. I think that's where you start saying, okay, we're, we're on to something here. And then you can also, to your point, pause and probably ask other questions that you could tee up for the next demo or the next conversation for a future agenda to kind of build off of that. But I think if you're not exposing that pain up front on, on the demo that's pertinent to them, yes, I, I know that the product team and marketing are really excited about this one particular widget that comes out of the UI. We're all super proud of it. But if that doesn't fit into the use case, the customer's not talking about it, don't try to push something that that's not there. Don't tell me that I need the extended warranty and you want to spend eight minutes on it after I told you that I didn't care if the car fell apart because I'd go buy another car. Like, don't, like use use the street skills and the in the human EQ to understand we shouldn't go down the path of talking about the warranty. No, well, you know that that I had an experience. I was working for a hosting company and it was my first SE role. 
And we worked a lot with existing customers who were replacing servers. Sometimes they're, you know, they're going to build a database cluster to replace their single, single MySQL server. And we did a lot of private VMware clusters. And one of the things I would see sometimes customers would say, you know, we go through everything and I would spec it out and my salesperson would quote it. And I would look at things and realize that the customer had overspec some things. And one of the things that really bought me some credibility with some customers is we spec'd it all out, we priced it all out, and then we had the call to present the quote, and the salesperson went over everything, and at the end, and I, and I had a couple of really, really gifted salespeople I worked who were very, very service-oriented. Mm -hmm. So they really, they really worked in the customer's best interest, and this is how they grew their accounts, one guy in particular. And one of the things I would sometimes see is the customer had told us, I want this much RAM, I need this, I need that. And I would look at everything after the call and say, we got too much hard disk space in here. Mm. They don't, they, they, they've got all kinds of hard disk space they're not going to use for six months to a year, and it's over spec And so we would quote it as they asked for it, and then we'd have the follow-up call and present it. One of the things I would, I would say to the customer is, by the way, I think you have too much disk in here. This is a VMware cluster. We can add more disk. Yeah. We can pop more, you know, we, we can give you more space on the sand when you need it. Uh, you know, give us three business days notice and open a ticket and we'll, you know, we'll extend the drive on that. It's, it's just sand space. So why do you want to pay for that now? Why don't you pay for that in six months when you need it? Of course, customers never heard and heard that from, from people in sales before. And then sometimes my follow-up would be, I think you need a little more RAM though. So why don't we trim this area here? and spend a little of that money here, I think you're still going to spend a little less for now. But next year when you grow, we might need a little more RAM and we're going to, you know, you're going to wind up at some point extending that partition on the sand. Customers realize at that point you really are looking out for their best interest. You didn't just say, we'll just take the money and that's it. Yeah, I think that's important. It takes you so long to put so many chips in the bank with a customer and it takes one second, one deal, one unethical opportunity to completely shatter not only any future business with your company, but those customers remember you in the industry. And you go to another company and you come in in another organization, you try to sell to that same customer. I've seen that happen where unbeknownst to me, I've supported a, a team where I went in there and I'm not working with this person. I worked with them at such and such company and I, and they didn't get into it. I knew enough or, you know, I've had a, couple other instances where it was they were not the type of person that I expected to ever work with again due to unethical reasons because they're trying to sell me things I don't need and, and customers get that right like it and, and in the grand scheme of things you know especially in your example you're not talking about millions of dollars here it's not like somebody was out getting rich that to me that's just you know being greedy and unethical and I think that's one of the things that I've always loved about pre-sales is that we always try to strive above that to your earlier comment, Paul, that we do not focus on uh, the dollar. We're here to solve the problem. And if the problem's solved and we're able to save them some money, that might have helped them, you know, reallocate that, you know, small little bit of OPEX saving to someplace else that they were not expecting later on. You know, uh, something else blew up and that they have to pay for. And I think that's part of really building that true partnership um, from our level. And I think that what a lot of people don't understand is, is the power that you have as that pre-sales solution engineer 
um, in your deals. It's not just the, the demo and the quote and the diagramming that you're doing. Customers are looking for you as that trusted leader to ensure that you know the the risk that they're taking going with you as a company is 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 well worth the risk and and I commend you for that one Paul I mean I think that's great I think that's a, a good life lesson especially for anybody that uh, is looking to get into um, you know a solution engineer role you know, these are the types of soft skills again that you just can't learn by picking up a book I I think one of the things too that I don't see in the industry I haven't seen this where I've worked enough I think I've maybe seen it once in the eight years or so I've been at this, I think that we really all, all need to try to understand what kind of salesperson are we or what kind of SE or, or architect yeah. are we? You know, and what are our strengths and weaknesses? You touched on this earlier. Um, a good organization doesn't order, you know, do, doesn't hire cookie cutters. Right. And I've seen salespeople I've supported, some of which were very, very technical and they were successful because of their ability to answer questions and handle objections. I've seen others that, they won again and again because they were very, very service-focused. I've seen others that they won again and again because they were just engaging. They just had a great way of connecting with people. And it's the same thing on the SE side. You know, I know who I am. I'm, I, there, there are SEs that will out-tech me every day of the week, and I know that. Um, but I know that I'll walk into an engagement and sit down with a customer and make a, a, a connection very often with people in that room that a lot of the other SEs right. wouldn't. And I know that, that my gift is I'm the explainer. That's where my gift lies. I'm, a, I'm, I'm at heart. I'm mm -hmm. a teacher. And I think you have to figure out in technical sales, whether you're the salesperson or the SE or the architect, you have to figure out where your skills lie. And, you know, you have to honestly sometimes look at some areas and say, i got to work yeah. on this. i got to focus on this a little more. You don't have to always be teachable. But you have to, you have to also play to your strengths. thousand percent agree. thousand percent agree. Well, this has been great. I, I've had so much fun, Paul. Um, you know, I could probably sit here and, and talk for hours, but I know you have a day job, and, and so do I. So we want to want to be respectful of that. I, you know, what other any any closing comments, any predictions of the future, what you're seeing, and kind of trends, those types of things that you want to leave with the with the users here. Well, you know, one of the things that we kind of touched on previously when we talked is, you know, what's happening in our industry and what's the future. And the big question that I think a lot of us are asking is, will we, will we be automated out of a job? Hmm. And I think, you know, with the onset of, of AI and so much technology that's now just consumable, log on and consume what you want, I think we should all be asking ourselves that. And my, my thought is in the world of managed services, in things that are complex, that things that are not simply point and click and mm -hmm. consume. I think that that SEs and SAs are going to be around for a while. And I, and I think there's going to be a need for us, much like I think there's going to be a need for good technical salespeople. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think you're spot um, on because I, I, I think if it were to go away, I think if a position were to go away first, my prediction would be the non-technical salesperson. Because to your point, there are a lot of, you know, more and more self-services is continuing. But there are still a lot of legacy technologies that exist. And because there are so many organizations that are popping up, that for AI to completely vet and understand how their service would interact with somebody that just popped up down the street. Like, I, I still think 
we're still in the very early infancy of anything to replace there. Uh, and a lot of organizations still need to have that whiteboard session, be able to, to talk through things and, and to leverage prior experiences. So I won't say it'll never be there. I, I just think the silver bullet that some people probably assume, oh, you know, we'll just make this completely self-service and people are just going to buy it. Um, maybe, but I also think that they might be um, shorting themselves on additional opportunities because of the human element that folks like yourself bring. Well, and I, and I think in sales, if you become too passive, you wait for customers to come to you and just do everything with, you know, electronic lead generation, you're going to miss out that you're going to have to be aggressive. You're going to have to reach out to customers and you're going to have to get customers in a room, whether it's, you know, virtual or physical, and you're going to have to be able to explain to them why you're different, why what you're doing is is different from, you know, the other seven, seven players in your space, and why would they want to spend money with you? Right. And I, I, I don't think you can do that simply, you know, as a, as a pre-recorded webex. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think that somebody's going to read, you know, seventy-five pages of documentation to understand what my company can do for them. I think the average person is is not going to do that, and the person that will. Maybe be a little hard to talk. Absolutely. To. Well, great, Paul. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, definitely want to have you back on the show again. Uh, and and I really I really appreciate your insights and, and background. And and I know that we're going to have a lot of folks ping me on this and and probably look to to reach out to you. So I'll I'll put uh, Paul's LinkedIn uh, here in the show notes. You know, feel free to. To connect with him or, or send him a message if you have any questions. He's a wealth of knowledge. And uh, check out his organization at Alert Logic as well. And until next time, we'll see you soon. Talking head on the tube, trying to rile up the minions. Telling stories that they say